forget about it. (laughs) I obviously can't do that accent. Sorry to everyone in New York. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're discussing chapter 25 of Royal Assassin today, Buckkeep. The beginning of it starts out with a description of Tradeford Castle, actually, which is a nice little juxtaposition with uh, a title of the chapter, Buckkeep. It's just basically describing that it's the ruling center for Pharaoh Duchy, which is where Queen Desire came from. And that's where she went back to with her son, Regal, every summer that he was growing up. And she has often stated, or had often stated, that it was superior to Buckkeep in every regard and would have served much better as a seat for the royal family. It's also where we know that Regal is bringing everything to and will move to soon. Yes. I also want to point out that This may be the first queen we see do this with her son, but it will not be the last because the Narcheska will also be doing this with her future Farseer sons. Yeah, bringing them over to the Out Islands. Mm -hmm. I do want to say a little description. I know in my read-throughs, I'm just like, oh, inner duchies are the worst. Trade for it has to be a crap city. No way (laughs) it's better than Buckkeep, but it's... Described as a lively place, a center for commerce in the heart of orchard and grain country. The Vin River is a sleepy, navigable water, making travel easy and pleasant. Honestly, it sounds like a really nice place. It's so weird to me that you picture, like, a horrible place because the people are horrible. I... I think it's mainly because in the third book when he goes there and there's the... Right, you know, the fighting circles. For sure, and it's, rundown. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. I I never take the time to picture it in a better light because it's always depicted as the place where Regal likes to go. And I can't (laughs) associate that with a nice place. That's fair. In my head, what I picture for uh, Tradeford or just in general, the inner duchies is the same as what I picture for Bingtown, which is like high commerce, lots of people. And a lot of colors, I guess, Hmm. which I don't necessarily associate. I definitely think there's a lot of people at Buckkeep, too, but it's more like muted tones and like very grays and blues in my mind, which isn't a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with Buckkeep in my mind, but I definitely see it as more of like not very colorful and kind of boring. Yeah, Buckkeep in my mind is like blues and grays, some blacks, but the inner duchies are more... I just automatically associate them with like wheat fields and stuff. So yeah. it's yellows and greens. Mm-hmm. Bingtown is literally every single color. Yeah. With a lot yeah. of blue as well because it's next to the ocean. And then Mountain Kingdom is white and purple <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it's described. But also multicolored because of all the houses. Right. Yeah. The tulip houses. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, to be fair to. Queen Desire, I think she probably had a point in some ways, but I don't like to give her that because she's a horrible person. True. So. (laughs) 
beginning of this chapter is describing their trip home briefly how Ketrikin seems very tired on her way back and Foxglove approaches uh, Beric and Fitz's fire at some point and has a little conversation asking if uh, there's a wolf nearby because she's seen one mm-hmm. and after that conversation Beric turns to Fitz and warns him again saying that's going to happen one too many times a wolf seen in your vicinity fits have a care there were rumors back when you killed those forged ones there were tracks all about and the marks on those men were never made by any blade someone told me they saw a wolf prowling neat bay the night of the battle i even heard a wild tale about a wolf who changed into a man when the battle was over there were tracks in the mud outside of the queen's very tent from that night as well for you that everyone was so tired and in so much of a hurry to dispose of the dead there were a few that did not die at a man's hand it's true that a lot of these little things have been slipping out and i think you mentioned last last week mm-hmm. that story of a man turning into a or a wolf turning into a man at the end of the battle probably came from that girl yeah and she gets called up for a witness later right no it's definitely something that fitz has not cared enough about which is a hard thing because on the one hand from my own moral standpoint i don't see the wit as something bad probably because i'm reading from wit's perspective or wit's from fitz's perspective so i understand it as just part of him but on the other hand i also know in this society people could be killed for it and he's been warned and he has been warned multiple times and i know that it's coming from burek so maybe he's not taking it as seriously but it is something he should be taking more seriously than he is and it is frustrating to see him care so much about every little secret maybe being found out by people and yet not caring enough to shield this part of him from anyone because he really isn't careful he relies so heavily on night eyes there's no way for him to be careful yeah i i kind of agree with that but in a little different vein i think he does know the severity of it and he is in Mm. his head said like oh yeah i really can't let anybody know this sends a chill down my spine or whatever deep foreboding but at the same time even though he knows it could be deadly for him he doesn't spend the effort to conceal it further and when they have a chance to go out Night Eyes doesn't care about it because Night Eyes probably hasn't been told about that really. Right. Or at least conveyed the importance of keeping that a secret. And when they hit a battle, Fitz goes into it without, you know, thinking about anything. So he gets outnumbered and Night Eyes has to come and save him. Yeah. No, it is definitely one of those things where there should have been more foresight. Definitely. But also, to be fair to Fitz, because I always like to be fair to Fitz um he is a child and sometimes it's harder when your brain is developing to understand the exact gravity of situations where you can like have a general idea that like this would be bad if people knew but not the worldview to understand what that means in its entirety yeah definitely so I would like to think that maybe that's part of it too is just that he is a child right now but oh, Fitz. <laughs> Night Eyes inserts himself into that conversation, of course, basically bragging that he killed more than than just a few. And Burek reprimands him and actually repels him away. 
from a distance. And Night Eyes goes scampering off. Mm -hmm. Which also, Fitzak's kind of surprised that Bjork is able to repel Night Eyes from a distance. But Fitz has done this on multiple occasions, so I don't know why he's surprised. I... How how far of a distance has Fitz done it from, though? It's usually people right next to him, right? Well, I don't know, because... Well, okay. the Maybe the problem is, in my mind... Like, I'm thinking specifically the Justin scene, where he used Night Eye, which is not the exact same, but I see those distances as way further than probably they are. It's a small... Yeah, so, it's a, his room is always described as very small, and Justin right. was right in the doorway. I still... Actually, Justin was close enough to him to be thrown back into the door. Right. And I assume that was, like, probably way bigger than it should be. I can't think (laughs) of, like, a way to describe the distance without, like, personal things that only you and I would know, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's probably, honestly, his room is probably maybe what 10 by 10 feet or something like that it's not nothing like crazy it's just a bed yeah, a I'm fireplace probably, a table and a chest like that's I'm it i'm definitely thinking double like i'm just thinking a very empty <laughs> big room but it's just smaller than the others by comparison but no yeah that would make way more sense so i think i've just been underestimating distances it's probably that <laughs> yeah so for for that distance he he repels him away and fits starts to talk to Night Eyes again, and, and Beric reprimands Fitz, too, saying, like, no, I, I said stop. It's disgusting. I'd rather you rode around with your hand in your pants than did that in my presence. Yeah, it he, really offends me. Yeah, he straight out says it offends me. And I think it's super important that Fitz pay attention, because when people are offended... Like, it's important to take their feelings into account. Right, yeah. And so it's good that he does, and he does. He realizes that, like, the most Burek is willing to bend is by not turning him away, and that's it. That's all he can give, and that's much more than he's been able to give before. And maybe, you know, this is something that Burek could have grown to I don't know, see fondly in some way eventually if the future events didn't happen. But for right now, it's good that Fitz respects that he has a line, even if that line keeps moving back a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, he also relates that he has his first night alone in a long time and he dreams of Molly and it's just a, a dream of her running away from him laughing and Fitz feels great by the end of it. It's just like a good dream mm-hmm. of them kind of like playing along a shore or, you know, him endlessly chasing Molly. Right. Did you see any deeper meaning into it? Um, because I I could have looked for more, but my feeling was like none of none of it really fit because he was alone. He was shielding himself. He was separate from Night Eyes. Right. It could have been just a dream. Well, So, as somebody who finds dream interpretation really interesting, (laughs) I definitely read it in a little bit different of a way. Not necessarily as, like, a skill thing, but I feel like it just represents that there's a happiness to the chase of Molly. At the end, he's relieved he didn't catch up with her, 
And I think that has a big significance of yeah. foreboding for their relationship. Like, Definitely. he's not sad that they missed out on coming together at the end. He was just happy to have chased her. And also the fact that he can't, he continuously chases her and can't catch up feels like something that is a little bit of a subconscious fear of I'll never really truly reach Molly. Mm -hmm. But that could also just me be me looking way too far in to a fake dream of a fake person. (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, they get back to Buckkeep and instead of cheers, instead of shouts of greeting, they are met by a very sober troop that is marching down with the signal that uh, one of them has an extremely important message. And as they're coming down, Beric and Fitz kind of look at each other and Beric suggests maybe it was King Shrewd who has passed away. Yeah. And Fitz kind of remarks on that and it's just thinking in his head. Obviously, King Shrewd is not dead at this point. <laughs> Fitz has not been near him when he died. Yes. <laughs> like we know happens. <laughs> but he's remarking on him like... I wonder what it would have been like to call him grandfather instead of my king. And he's just kind of thinking on that whole relationship briefly before Ketrickin comes and takes that message. Yeah. I think it's important to note that he also realizes that if King Shrewd is dead, he is now responsible for his own actions and that scares him, which is... A little weird to think about because really he's always responsible for his own actions, but because of the way he was raised, he doesn't truly believe that. And that kind of shows here that it takes the potential of the king's death for him to realize that he hasn't ever really believed that his actions were fully his own. Yeah. Um, which is really sad. <laughs> and also, I thought it was interesting that he's not more upset. I know he's not super close with his grandfather and there's some tight tension because of the whole Molly marriage thing, but I expected him to be a little bit more sad. Maybe it's the training and he's not just like breaking down and weeping there in front of people, but I, that's kind of what I expected. Also, it's not confirmed what it is. That's true. That's fair. Just the idea of losing him, in which he is sad. He is clearly upset at the idea. I just thought he would be more upset, I guess. Yeah, he says, I felt no surprise, only a gaping loss in me. But also, that's kind of true to how I have felt in the past when a grandparent has passed away that was not doing well health-wise, where you knew it was coming, and it's you're not super surprised like you've had all this time to mourn so maybe it's part partially that of he's kind of been mourning the loss of his grandfather for mm-hmm. a year and this is just like ugh, it's happened so catcher can gets the scroll unfurls it reads it and based on her reaction fitz knows that the news is about verity being dead and not king shrewd he reaches for him through the skill link and can't find any connection to him in his head at all. There's nothing. Everything had vanished. And he was recalling during the battle how he thought he had heard Verity screaming commands or shouting commands in his head. 
crying out, issuing orders that made no sense. I could not recall one individual word of what he might have shouted, but now it seemed to me that they had been battle orders. Orders to scatter, to seek cover perhaps, or... But I could not recall anything with certainty. I looked over at Birik to find the question in his eyes. I had to shrug. I don't know, I said quietly. Ketrikin announces that Prince Regal has had tidings that King-in-Waiting Verity is dead. And she just rides in. Uh, on her way through, some of the soldiers that had come to meet them give her a mocking salute, which is super rude and it makes Fitz mad, but Ketrikin doesn't seem to notice. I can't help but feel really bad for Ketrikin because, first of all, she doesn't know that this isn't true. And maybe part of her is hoping that it isn't because it is Regal saying it, but I don't know if she would even question it at this point. And so just the idea that she has lost the only person who could have protected her in this new land and somebody that she cared about deeply, as well as the father to her child, that would be a lot to process. Yeah. And... I just feel so... And she has to stay strong because she's a noble woman. Mm -hmm. And she can't just, like, break down right there. Ugh, I just feel so bad for her. That's just the scary thought of, okay, now I'm in a hostile environment with... And I'm pregnant. Like, what do I do? I don't know. They dismount. Ketrikin gets ushered off by her ladies. And Fitz notes the look on Foxglove that she wants to be there for her queen, but this is the part where she can't be by her queen because we're in the castle now, but Birik would definitely not be alone guarding her door at night. Fitz was sure about that. And as they're dismounting, and as Fitz is, wants to go and see if Regal knows about Ketrikin being pregnant, Birik stops him to have a conversation and... They uh they go take care of their horses together alone in the in the corner of a stall of the barn. Which isn't hard to do because there are so many empty stalls. Yeah. And so Beer questions him on his link with Verity, and Fitz says that I can't really feel him, but battles sometimes, you know, prevented me from being connected to Verity more. Sometimes we just disconnected through that, so that could have happened. And Birk asks him, like, can you skill now? Can you connect to him? And Fitz is frustrated, of course, because he can't. It's very unreliable for him. And Birk is very suspicious still of all of this and says, look, we know that messages have gone awry lately. How do we know that this one hasn't been invented? And they kind of have a uh, have a plan here. I don't know if you want to talk more about their conversation, but like the overall shape of it is that they come up with a plan to determine if Verity is still alive. Right. Well, I want to point out something that both of them missed. If Fitz had contact with Verity last night, even if he died last night, how would Regal already know he was dead? See, the uh, that, that comes up later. This... Um, I think next chapter, because I read ahead one <laughs> yes, chapter. Yes, and I did not. <laughs> um, it wasn't last night. The The journey from Nipe or to Nipe takes multiple days. That's a On good point. On the way point. there, I okay. think they spent two days getting there. 
um, on the way back, they made it, they went a little bit slower, I think. Okay, fair enough. I was, I did not take that into account because I was like, okay, it's literally been less than 24 hours and no. Okay, so possibly he could have, but still that's a long distance and I don't know. Yep, they do, they do a little, uh, backwards counting i think in the next chapter where Fitz says like oh it's been this many days could a rider a relay of messengers come down and birik's like yes but just barely so it is possible but he would have had to have died immediately after you had last contact which is super sus so yeah i mean clearly we know it's not true but i was just thinking oh why don't they notice this but that would that would be why i did not think but, which is so wild because we literally just talked about how it had been days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my mind is like, nope, no, this part. This just happened. It was yeah. last chapter, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's yesterday for them. No. Okay. So that was something that I was like, ha ha ha, I caught something. I did not. But I did quickly want to point out, this is another kind of tangent, that there's a kind of talk here where Fitz once again underestimates how far Regal is willing to go, which happens twice this chapter. I think this is the first time and the second time happens with the fool. But in this moment, he isn't sure that Regal would make up the king being dead if he was alive because what, what happens if he came with, back? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in this moment Burek is like, no, he would definitely have the guts to do that because Who's going to defy him once he's king? Yeah, he, he can, can make, make it, anything happen. Yeah, he can make it so somebody doesn't come back to mm-hmm. the kingdom. And in this kind of talk where Fitz is realizing, oh, yeah, he tried to kill Burek and didn't even care that Burek survived. He had no care. And in this, we get a description that Burek has a white streak in his hair from where he was hit. Yeah. And it just made me think about how soon that will be him. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was really just like a weird... Fitz is really following in Bjerk's footsteps in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I don't know. So I just... Father like son. Yeah. Found that white streak so interesting. Because I I don't think I ever picture Bjerk with a white streak. Like, maybe graying hair next series... But not like Tom Badgerlock White Streak, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was just like a weird thing to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so they they kind of come up with a plan here, Birik and Fitz, in this discussion of these different options. They're like, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. We need proof that he is alive, that we can show to King Shrewd, because he's the only one who can say, no, this isn't true. King Wade and Verity is still alive, and so Regal would not have any power because coming from anybody else doesn't matter. And so, uh, Beric is asking Fitz, like, how can we get instantaneous information? Because we can't send a messenger and they can't come back in time. Like, it's just not possible time-wise for that to happen. So you need to use a skill. Mm -hmm. The Coda remembers will not do anything for that. No. And so Fitz says... King Shrewd might be able to, I suggested hesitantly, if he took strength from me. And they kind of decide, like, yeah, that kind of has to happen then. We, you need to see the king tonight. And Fitz isn't super on board at first, because this reveals his secret to Regal. 
mm-hmm. that he can skill and that's dangerous. And Burek's response I found really interesting. So in response to Fitz saying There's too many uncertainties. Yeah, that if like, this doesn't work, I have opened myself up to yeah. Regal and he knows that I am a king's man. And Burek says Sorry, boy. There is more at stake here than your well-being. Not that I do not care about you, but I think you will be safer if Regal thinks you can skill and all know Verity is alive than if all believe Verity is dead and Regal thinks it timely to be rid of you. We must try tonight. Perhaps we shall not succeed, but we must try. And I find that really interesting. Because what we know is going to happen. Not right after this. I know there's two Yeah, times. so so he tries... How this turns out next chapter, and we'll discuss more, is that they do contact Verity, but he was draining skill from King Shrewd in order to contact him. So mm-hmm. he, like, drains the health even more from King Shrewd. Right. But they get out of there. And then later on is the final encounter. Right. And I wonder if, because eventually this is what brings Fitz's death, if this moment haunts Burek, and this is why he is so willing to break all of his codes about bringing Night Eyes to Fitz and trying any way to save him. and Because he pushed Fitz to try something he, that led to... he tells Fitz it's better for them to know your skill. It's better for you to do something that you don't think is safe. And it's not that I don't care about you, but this is more important. Which is fair. It is true. true. And I don't think... I know that Burek has more of an understanding of how callous Regal can be, but I still don't think it's real how horrible he can be because he hasn't started torturing people yet. Right. So there's no way to know that that's how he's going to get rid of Fitz. And I wonder if that this whole brusque statement of just do it anyway, it's more important than your safety really is the reason why he seems to feel so guilty. Definitely could be because I know Fitz kind of takes it upon himself Mm because I know the fool tries to persuade him not to and Fitz kind of follows through with the plan anyways. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Birk later on is like, well, I pushed him and he got that initial momentum and even though there were good arguments against, he just went forward with it. And I do want to clarify, yeah, I do want to clarify, I do not think Burek is at fault here, nor do I think Fitz is at fault for his death. But we've talked about this before. Burek Burek takes guilt upon himself for these actions, and, like, he he lives with his guilt, and that's why he drinks so much. And, Mm -hmm. like, we've talked about that whole, you know, character flaw in his his actions before because of that. He just assumes all guilt to himself, and he passed that trait along to Fitz. Yes. And so, in reading this, all I could think was, oh, Burek... Oh, no, honey. <laughs> you are going to be so sad soon. And I bet this is a big factor in why he feels... Because, not that I thought it was weird that he felt so guilty, because, I mean, his son died. I didn't necessarily see it as guilt. Mm-hmm. But I think in this rereading, I'm feeling more like maybe there was guilt there. And I guess whatever guilt I was reading, I like assumed it was because of the whole Molly situation. But maybe it wasn't 
all about Molly. Maybe it was, I killed him in the first place. I took away any chance he had. And I just feel so bad for him. Because he's just trying to do what he thinks is the best option. Right, right. So they're kind of pleased with themselves. They they both are convinced that Verity is alive and they're just going to get one up on Regal for this action. And they start to go their separate ways and, and Fitz asks for a favor. One, to take care of Beric, and then Beric asks it, Fitz to spit it out because he's just kind of, you know, fiddling with his keys at the door. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so after a moment, Beric sighed and said, out with it. If I happen to see Molly, you'd like me to tell her what? I shook my head at myself. Only that I miss her. What else can I say to her? I have nothing to offer her but that. He glanced at me, an odd look. Sympathy, but no false comfort. I'll let her know, he promised. I thought those few lines right there were were incredibly telling as well of the similarities like we've discussed before of what he's been through with patients right and how he must have been feeling sympathy but no false comfort Bjerg knows it sucked to go through that and have to choose duty over someone you loved right but he did it anyways because to him that's what seemed right and what Fiss is doing to Bjerg is right mm-hmm. that he ignore and not see molly at all because it keeps her safe yeah He leaves the stables and goes to the kitchen and has a conversation with Cook Sarah. And she is now a big Regal stan. She is (laughs) team Regal all the way, which... She was kind of leaning that way before, but not uh, fully out. She still was skeptical about him and had you know, questions and sometimes thought he was a bit much. It wasn't necessarily negative, like fully negative. Yeah. But this is crazy. It's like, (laughs) in my mind, I was like, not cook Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from her perspective, Regal has done everything correct because they have a victory. Mm -hmm. So they're preparing a feast for the victory at Nipe and they kind of talk through that's what Verity would have wanted to because Fitz doesn't understand it to begin with. But he's like, yeah, right. Verity would have wanted us to celebrate the hope that we brought instead of his death. I get it. And she goes on to explain that Regal's the one who stayed here. Verity left. Regal looked after the king. He minded the coast as best as he could. Verity is gone. Regal's here. And Niple has not fallen to the Raiders. Right. Which also, um, they haven't fought a single battle until this one since Verity left. So how is this whole, like, Regal stayed and fought as best he could? He didn't do anything! This is the first, (laughs) and he didn't even order it, which I understand that they don't know that, and so I'm overlooking that because we know that as fact. And Fitz Fitz tries to uh, put that separation in her mind as well with that next sentence. Nipe did not fall because Regal stayed here to protect us. I wanted to make certain that Cook was connecting those two events, not merely mentioning them both in the same lecture. (laughs) Yeah. And it... Oh, it is frustrating to read. Because we know the truth, but also just how far into the crazy it seems that Regal supporters have Mm -hmm. become. I don't know. Well, it's, it's very 
good manipulation because yeah. this this uh, conversation right after I'm I'm just going to read the whole thing right. really shows of what the uh, coterie has done to undermine Verity's rule and his confidence and his, uh, his the view of him in the public's eyes. She says it's what's been needed all along. Soldiers sent right away. Skilling is fine, but what's the good of knowing what's happening if no one does anything about it? Verity always sent out warships, and they always seem to get there too late. She turned to me. Oh, I know you worshipped him, lad. Our Prince Verity was a good-hearted man who wore himself to death trying to protect us. I'm not speaking against the dead. I'm only saying that skilling and chasing down elderlings are not the way to fight these red ships. What Prince Regal done, sending the soldiers and ships out the minute he heard, that's what was needed all along. Maybe with Prince Regal in charge, we'll survive here. Right. Which also... Isn't that what Fitz just said, that Verity also sent ships out the second he heard? Yeah, but there was always too late. He wasn't competent enough. It's so, oh, it's so frustrating. It's like, okay, but you understand that both sent them out, which Regal didn't even do it, but people don't know that, so we're looking (laughs) over it. Results, Emma, results. (sighs) (laughs) Frustrating. (laughs) So frustrating. Because, like, okay, so let's just say... I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and believe that Regal sent out, for the first time ever, sent out ships to attack, and they were successful. The first time that Verity sent out ships, they were also successful. They were only successful, like, two more times. Regal has one, Verity has three. So, like, still Verity did better than Regal has yeah, but Verity also had a lot more losses. <sighs> Fine. Okay. <laughs> this is much more fresh. It literally right. happened two right. nights ago. So. I know, but it's just like... <laughs> They're like, huge victory. We captured more ships than Verity had ever captured before. Mm-hmm. We got all a bunch of people dead. Queen Ketrickin's coming back with a baby. Like, a huge thing for celebration. Right. Verity might be dead, but we'll celebrate the victories. But also... Know? Ketrick and being pregnant isn't necessarily right, a yeah. positive topic, and which we'll... also cooks Sarah. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> she is the source of gossip, you know? She That's needs what... to get off Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they talk about King Shrewd briefly, and Fitz kind of gathers from Cook Sarah that her viewpoint is that he's a poor old man. He's not really worth anything anymore. He's basically basically dead and regal will be the one ruling and then they move on to queen waiting ketrakin i've heard it said she's saying she's with child now the cook sounded skeptical she'll want to announce it tonight do you doubt she's with child i asked bluntly cook was not offended by it oh i don't doubt she's pregnant if she says she is it just seems a bit odd is all her telling it after word of verity's death came in instead of before How's that? Well, some of us are bound to wonder. What's always wondered, when a woman doesn't conceive, and when her husband's away, suddenly she announces she's pregnant by him. She glanced about to see who might be listening. Why now? All of a sudden. And if she knew she was pregnant, what was she thinking of racing off in the middle of the night right into battle? That strange behavior for a queen carrying the throne's heir. And that sentiment right there, that it's it's... If she was pregnant by Verity and she rushed into battle, it's unsafe for her to do so. Why would she risk all that? That's 
pretty much coming from Regal's camp because he basically implies the same things over the feast. Yes. And he, he says pretty much the same things and colors her achievements with the admonitions and with all of the, you know, the shading of her accomplishments. She just kind of brushes her accomplishments aside to also say she shouldn't have done any of this. She's just a woman. Ugh, yeah, I know. That's coming and I have <laughs> thoughts. But while we're here, so the whole thing is maybe it's not Verity's. She might be pregnant, but it's probably not Verity's. And I would like to know, because what? She is two, maybe three months along, right? At this point, we think. Maybe. With child. Yeah, I don't remember. So something very early. This is probably the first trimester. So why would Most definitely the first trimester Why would she have announced it anyway before leaving if it's the first trimester? I don't know, I guess, back in the day when, like, this time period is kind of based off of if losing the baby early was pretty normal. Because I know nowadays you don't tell people until, like, a month or two in to be sure that the pregnancy is truly viable. And so it's not that weird to me as a modern woman (laughs) reading that she hadn't said anything yet. Because you don't know. you. Yeah. There are a lot of complications that come with being pregnant. And one of the biggest ones is sometimes you can't carry all the way. And so maybe it's because it's supposed to be a different time period and you just tell everybody right away back then. But it's wild to me that it's like, ooh, pretty suspicious that she didn't know her husband was going to die. So she didn't tell us before. Like, she's still like. To maybe three months in. I think it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Fitz goes into kind of a a control situation and trying to steer her back to Ketrickin's actually pregnant with Verity's heir. And name drops Lady Patience, who cooks her, kind of brushes aside. But also Lacey, who cooks her, is like, oh, she's solid. But she usually doesn't gossip. And Fitz is like, I'll have to make sure that they knew. They say that she knew. Uh Uh-huh. And also says to look into Queen Ketchikan's habits, like she's been drinking raspberry leaf tea for a while. And um, at the end of this, says, well, here's something for you then. Queen Ketchikan's not the only one with child. Oh, who else? I smiled. Can't tell you that just yet, but you'll be among the first to know from what I've heard. I had no idea who might be pregnant, but it was safe to say that someone in the keep was, or would be, in time to substantiate my rumor. I needed to keep Cook pleased with me if I were to count on her for court talk. She nodded sagely at me, and I winked. Hmm, Fitz, who else might be pregnant? What a prediction he've just made. (laughs) Maybe he does have the white blood in him. (laughs) Oh, yes. Fitz will have a little Fitz running around. He heads out of the kitchen and falls asleep. He wakes up to a tap on his door, uh, undoes the latch, and sees the fool standing there. Mm-hmm. But not the fool as he used to be. It yeah. is newly well-dressed fool. He is no longer in his <laughs> well, motley. Well-dressed is, yeah, yeah, I guess I so. mean, he's wearing regular people clothes, it Court seems. fashion, yes. Very, uh, very overdressed. Mm-hmm. 
embroidery on the sleeves, slashes that showed off the rich fabric of the sleeves beneath them, plumed hat, deepest indigo to palest azure went the colors on the hat, and from the fool's white face, like a peeled egg peeping out of them. Which is <laughs> so mean. Yes. <laughs> Fitz is a little rude sometimes. <laughs> His descriptions are wonderful. And so the fool kind of talks through this like, oh, fools are no longer in fashion, and being King Shrewd's fool is definitely no longer in fashion. So Fitz gets the idea that Regal dressed him up, and the fool is to be at Regal's side, being witty for him during this uh, this feast. Yeah. I find it very interesting that Regal keeps the fool around at this point at all, because we know Regal hates anybody who isn't regular i don't even want to say the word regular but like what he views as a normal person and with the fool being so different it surprises me that he even went through the effort of dressing the fool nice Mm -hmm. maybe his idea is that he has to wait until his father is completely dead and then he'll get rid of the fool but it's just odd i think it's his arrogance that he could manipulate and keep anybody to his side so eventually, like, he, he was trying to do that before. Right. Either with honey or with a stick, you know, coin or throwing the pitchers at him and stuff. Right. He finally gets the fool to come down. And obviously the fool is known to be the king's fool. And if he's seen at Regal's side, that gives him more stature even. That's a good And he point. is witty, so he can make, you know, his conversation better. And, you know, it's a status thing. That's fair. That's a good point I didn't think about. But... The king's fool is now following the new king-in-waiting. Right. Hmm. Also, I want to mention here, they they kind of turn into the topic of King Shrewd and Verity. Fitz asks if the fool cares at all if Verity is dead. And the fool says, Care you not at all that the flowers are blooming beneath the summer sun? Fool, it is winter outside. The one is as true as the other, believe me. Which basically tells him right there that the fool knows that Verity is alive. Mm -hmm. Fitz just kind of breezes over it because the fool changes the topic of conversation to asking for a favor. (laughs) And the favor is, do not slay my king with your ambitions for your own. I would never slay my king. How dare you say it? Oh, I dare much these days. With his elegant clothes and unaccustomed postures, he frightened me. It was as if another being inhabited his body, one I knew not at all. So this is a sentiment that gets repeated throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. As soon as the fool stops acting in a way that is familiar to Fitz, his guard immediately goes up and the fool might as well be a completely different person to him. And I find it super interesting. And I wonder, this is just tinfoil hat theory, I wonder if it's partially because he can't read the fool. Definitely could be. Everybody else, he can get a vague sense of their feelings or that they're there. And the fool doesn't really... His emotions don't come across to Fitz's senses. We Mm -hmm. know that. So I wonder if the reason it freaks him out so much is because he doesn't have that security of knowing for sure what the fool is thinking or feeling and all of a sudden because this isn't the person he knew 
it is a completely different person. It might as well be because they feel he can't feel anything. He can't feel a difference or a similarity between the two. It's a good thought. I like that. The fool continues on with his line of questioning here, saying, uh, You couldn't kill the king, huh? Not even if the king had killed your mother? A terrible sick feeling rose in me. What are you trying to tell me? I whispered. The fool whirled at the pain in my voice. No, no, you, make, you mistake me entirely. There was sincerity in his voice, and for an instant I could see my friend again. But, he continued, if you believe the king had killed your mother, your much-cherished, loving, indulgent mother had killed her and snatched her forever away from you, do you think you might then kill him? I had been blind for so long that it took me a moment to understand him. I knew Regal believed his mother had been poisoned. I knew it was one source of his hatred for me and for Lady Time. He believed we had carried out the killing at the behest of the king. I knew it all to be false. He says that he knows that Queen Desire poisoned herself with her herbs and everything like that, that King Shrewd had tried several times to stop her, had even applied to Chade for herbs and potions that would end her cravings, but nothing had worked. And so... She self-administered her own poison through her own addictions. Right. He'd always known that, and knowing it, had discounted the hate that would breed in the heart of a coddled son, suddenly bereft of his mother. And it's a really interesting point that even Chade seems to have overlooked this. They all know that Regal thinks Lady Time killed his mother, that's just a fact. Everybody knows that. Even if he's wrong, they all know that he believes that. That is 100% true. But nobody, not even Chade, thought to think... Where did that order come from? Yeah. Where would Regal's... Yeah. Where would his mind turn to? Yeah. Why would he... Who would he think... I don't know. It just... Especially if the... Like, even if he didn't think right away that, oh, this must have come from the king, if Lady Time was not punished or not killed before that... Mm-hmm. He must have thought, well, I guess it was... The king's order. ...forgiven or sanctioned Mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. Which, it's really sad that Regal feels that way about his father, that his father could kill his mom, because we know Shrewd did love his mom. So why does he assume that shrewd would get rid of her like that i wonder if it's because he doesn't understand what love is in a sad way because i don't think queen desires type of love is a normal love you know what i mean yeah and maybe he believes that someone who's in power will do anything to stay in power and queen desire threatened shrewd's power even though we know she didn't that Regal imagines his mother to be this super strong, intelligent woman. So, of course, Shrewd was intimidated and got rid of her, even if he did have feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's just so sad that that's how he was raised. And yeah, definitely. At times like this, I do feel really bad for Regal. Like, he is a horrible person, and how he was raised does not excuse the person that he chooses to continue to be. But I do feel really bad for the type of examples that were set for him at a young age and what must have been a very rough life. I mean, rough in context of like emotional love, not like, (laughs) yeah, 
I don't think he wanted for anything. Exactly. (laughs) But I don't know. I just sometimes I catch myself feeling bad about Regal. I have to reel that back in. So. No, it's a, it's it's a mark of a good character too, and it it yeah. really comes from that development, and the connections that Fitz is making in his head at this point with those little comments. He is thinking of you know, would Regal kill over vengeance? Would he send the six statues almost to the edge of ruin for vengeance? Why not? He never cared for the coastal duchies, and the inland duchies were always more loyal to his mother, and that's where his heart was. And sometimes his mother, when she was drunk or, you know, high on her drugs, would say that she should have remained Duchess of Pharaoh because she would have had more power and would be able to unite the inner duchies and rise up against the king. Shrug off the allegiance, at least. Yeah. And then Galen, who is his older half-brother, kept up that hatred indoctrination Mm -hmm. and kept directing that and Fitz is asking himself had he hated enough to subvert his coterie to Regal's revenge to me it seemed a staggering treason but I found myself accepting it he would hundreds of folks slain scores forged women raped children orphaned entire villages destroyed for the sake of a princeling's vengeance over an imagined wrong it staggered me but it fit it fit as snug as a coffin lid I think perhaps the present Duke of Pharaoh should have a care for his health, I mused. He shares his older sister's fondness for fine wine and intoxicants. Well supplied with these, and careless of all else, I suspect he will live a long life. As perhaps King Shrewd might, I ventured carefully. A spasm of pain twitched across the fool's face. I doubt that a long life is left to him, he said quietly. But what is left might be an easy one rather than one of bloodshed and violence. And so he asks Fitz to not mess with the king, to let him die peacefully as he can, without everything stirring up later. Right. Fitz says, I cannot. The fool pressed his forehead to the door, a most unfool-like gesture. Then you shall be the death of kings. The fool goes on to re-explain and tell Fitz, like, you know what I am. I'm, I'm a prophet. I know some of the future. And explains his reasoning that, you know, the end of the Farseer line was one of the turning points. But Ketrickin carries an heir. The Farseer line will continue. The line will continue. That's what needed. Why can't you just let King Shrewd die in peace, an old man? And Fitz kind of replies that Regal won't let that happen. Right. And I do want to ask a quick question of you. So the fool says the end of the Farseer line is a turning point. So clearly this is a path in the road that leads to dragons never coming back. I assume because Dutiful is going to raise ice fire. Yeah. And... So that's why an heir has to be born, because mm-hmm. if the heir is never born, the dragon never gets resurrected. And there was probably a path for Nettle to do so right. if Dutiful was never born. Right. But I'm wondering if this kind of takes away from Fitz being a catalyst in any way in your mind, because it almost seems like the fool's content to 
not do anything else. He'll, after Shrewd dies, probably go with the wind and go somewhere else. Or if you think he's still using Fitz in some way. We've we've seen in the future and in, in further books a lot of inaction or, you know, not wanting to change anything on the fool's part mm-hmm. because he thinks it's going the proper way, but Fitz will do something and it turns out all right anyways. Right. For example, the fool insisting that he'll, he's going to die at the end of Tawny Man and, and Fitz saying, you know, I'm going to change that fate. I'm the catalyst and the fool getting super scared. Right. Things like that. I think the fool sees like this is the most likely outcome now. I don't think I have to do anything. And he's just scared of changing too much or right. stirring. Like he says, stirring the pot. You don't know what's going to come up if you stir mm-hmm. the kettle too much. So I think it's that kind of, you know, fear of action that will change what he has set in motion already. Interesting. I do wonder if his fear and inaction stems from not being fully trained. Definitely he could be. did go to Claris, but we know that he was held back from any type of real training because... Yeah they didn't want him to go out. <laughs> they didn't have as much mm-hmm. control over him. So I wonder well, if... because he was the false prophet and they had... Right, right. I forget her name, something with an A, but the pale woman, mm-hmm. they had her who who was trained fully and was going to go out and do what right. they wanted. Yeah. So I just, I wonder if part of that is this, but it just made me wonder, <laughs> which funnily enough, I wrote, does this mean that Fitz isn't the catalyst, and literally three paragraphs later, Fool calls him his catalyst. So, like, (laughs) clearly I'm thinking too heavily on this, but I was reading it thinking, if all he's worried about is the Farseer heir, is this written because Robin Hobb didn't have a full vision of what the whole series was going to be, or is this coming from the fool's like fear of i i think it's coming from the fool himself partially now that you just said that partially from the fear and action i was saying before but partially i think it's just from his conscious because he later does say like i just want a nice death to the kind man who is very nice to a freak yeah so i think it, it he sees in my mind he sees the most likely path and there are Two ways to get there, one very small chance where the king dies in peace, and a larger chance where Fitz messes with, you know, what's right, happening, but right. it goes to the same place. And the fool is just trying to get that small chance to happen. It's like, let him die in peace. He's done so much in his life. Just don't do you, pain him anymore. Do you think Fitz messing with the king puts them on the path that Ketrickin loses the baby or do you think that Ketrickin was always going to lose this baby and Fitz was going to foster the next I have no idea it'd be yeah no idea I guess there is nettle like you said so there will be an heir weird mm-hmm. weird I don't know and so Fitz and the fool are still talking about this Fitz says that Regal won't let that heir be born very bluntly and asks the fool, like, what good is an heir to the Farseer throne if the throne is but a broken chair in a burned-out hall? 
And the fool goes on and saying, like, there there are thousands of crossroads. Some are clear, some are, you know, very unlikely, and I don't know what they are. Some are pretty much certain, and it would take a vast army or a plague to change those paths, but others are shrouded in fog, and I do not know what roads lead out of them or to where. You fog me, bastard. You multiply the futures a thousandfold just by your existing. Catalyst. For some of those fogs go the blackest, twisted threads of damnation, and from others, shining twines of gold. To the depths or the heights, it seems, are your paths. I long for a middle path. I long for a simple death for a master who is kind to a freakish, jeering servant. He made no more rebuke than that. He lifted the latches and undid the bolts and left quietly. The rich clothing and careful walk made him appear deformed to me, as his motley and capers never had. I closed the door softly behind him and then stood leaning against it as if I could hold the future out. That ending is what makes me think a lot of it is just hoping for an easy way. Yeah. Hoping for, you know, that kind death to King Shrewd. And the fool knows that there's probably not going to be easy paths, but he's trying to take any opportunity he can to make those easier decisions because he sees so much death right. and destruction every day. And I'm sure King Shrewd had him live through like the raid that we saw in Fitz's dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he had to do that a few times and over the life, over... You know, his dreams of seeing what choices he has to make. He's seen so much hurt in the world that he wants just uh, some some easy decisions. Right. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to see the fool beg and know that neither of them can really do much about what's going to happen. I think in the sentiment that... Fitz is destined for high highs and low lows and fool just wants the middle ground. I think Fitz also craves that middle ground, yeah. a regular life. hundred percent. But destinies apparently cannot be changed in some ways. So Fitz gets ready for the evening to go down to the feast. And when he gets down there, he knows that, you know, it's pretty much packed. A lot of people are there. Yeah, mostly from the inland duchies. Yes. And he was seated at a low table, lower than he's been sat for a long time, mm -hmm. with the stable hands, actually. But he yeah. kind of prefers their company anyways. Right. So. And then he was looking at the other faces that he knew, seeing who else was there, and he sees Ketrikin. As the king is getting ushered in, leaning on a newly elegant fool, followed by Ketrikin. She wore a simple robe of drab brown, and she had cut her hair for mourning. She had left herself less than a hand's width of hair, and bereft of its rich weight, it stuck out about her head like a dandelion gone to seed. She did not look like a mourning queen. Rather, she appeared bizarre. A new kind of fool for the court. I could see nothing of my queen, nothing of Ketrikin in her garden, nothing of the barefoot warrior dancing with her blade, 
only a foreign woman, newly alone here. Regal, in contrast, was as lavishly clothed as if to go according, and moved as surely as a hunting cat. I skipped some of the description in between there, but she had been weeping, and her eyes were red, and she just sticks out. And yeah. in Fitz's eyes, as he's been trained, not in a good way. Mm-mm. This because is, it singles her out again. Yeah. This is helping with Regal's later plans. Yes. To make her seem a crazy foreigner. And it's sad because she should be allowed. This should be okay. Especially because she's adhering to customs of this place. Mm-hmm. These are these people's customs. And they're all like, oh, what a weirdo. Well, maybe maybe the Mountain Kingdom does cut hair as well. I guess we don't ever really know yeah, for sure, but it just seems... Although maybe not, because she didn't for her brother, I don't think. No. She didn't know about the custom, I thought. There was like a... Maybe, yeah. ...thing where she was told about it or something. I don't know. It's just frustrating to watch people other her, even when she is partaking in their customs right and don't find it odd that they themselves are excited at the news of the king-in-waiting's death it's more weird that she the wife of the king-in-waiting is sad i don't know it's so fitz remarks that this is like an extremely well orchestrated puppet play basically there's the old King Shrew doddering and thin, nodding off over his dinner, making vague and smiling conversation to no one in particular. Queen in waiting, unsmiling, barely eaten, eating, silent and mourning. Regal, the dutiful son, seated next to the failing father and beside him the fool, magnificently clad and punctuating Regal's conversations with witticisms to make the prince's conversation more sparkling than it truly was. The rest of the high table was Duke and Duchess of Pharaoh and the Duke and Duchess of Tilth, Burns, Rippin, and Shoke's duchies were not represented at all. Then toasts were offered. Yes. So this is where things get the most frustrating. I forgot <laughs> how much I hated reading this the first time through, um, but it came back twofold this time, so... <laughs> first, the Duke of Pharaoh toasted the prince lavishly, declaring him the defender of the realm. Basically putting everything, all the praises onto Regal for Nipe. Mm-hmm. For the whole court and the feast to see. Early in the speech, it says that Ketchikan sat up straighter and looked incredulously at Regal, obviously unable to believe that he would not quietly nod and smile to praises not his due. And then the second toast, predictably, came from Duke Ram of Tilth. He'd offered a toast to the memory of King-in-Waiting Verity. This was a eulogy, but a condescending one. Speaking of all that Verity had attempted and intended and dreamed of and wished for. His achievements already having been heaped on Regal's plate, there was little left to add. So it's basically Verity's dreams, but all of Verity's accomplishments went to Regal beforehand, so it was pretty sparse. Mm-hmm. And not very uh not very praise filled. <laughs> and Ketrikan looks like she is about to interrupt this praising of regal and regal steps in just in time to shut her down yep almost hastily holding up his newly filled glass he motioned all to silence then extended that glass toward the queen 
Too much has been said of me this night, and too little of our most fair queen-in-waiting Ketcherkin. She has returned home to find herself most sadly bereaved. Yet I do not think my late brother Verity would wish sorrow for his death to overshadow all that is due his lady by her own effort, despite her condition, and the knowing smile of Regal's face was perilously close to a sneer. She deemed it in the best interests of her adopted kingdom to venture forth to confront the red ships herself. Doubtless many raiders fell to her valiant sword. No one can doubt that our soldiers were inspired by the sight of their queen, determined to do battle on their behalf, regardless of what she risked. Two spots of high color began to glow on Ketrikin's cheeks. Regal continued shading his account of Ketrikin's deeds with condescension and flattery. The insincerity of his courtier's phrases somehow diminished her deed to somehow, something done for show. First of all, I just want to say, the fact that he says, despite her condition, instead of pregnancy, like, I hate it <laughs> so much. I think it's so stupid, and it makes me irrationally angry when... Robin Hobb did such a good job of writing even that small part of yes. the speech, because, yeah, it is praising her on the outward look but uh-huh. also not subtle at all running through the whole thing is like she did this she is a foreign queen who fought for soldiers on their behalf while she is pregnant with risk supposedly yeah look how dumb she is yeah yeah it's so frustrating to read like which i once took an art class in high school and the teacher said Art is supposed to make you feel something, and just because that strong emotion is negative doesn't mean it's bad art, it just means it's art. And this makes me think of that quote every time, because I get so angry. And it's not bad, it's just very good and makes me feel an emotion, a very strong emotion, which is, I want to kill Regal. And you know what? (laughs) Sometimes that's just what art is. But nobody is defending Ketrikin. Yeah, and Fitz is thinking, if I do it for my low table, it'll just basically be seen as mocking again. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, look, the most common person is standing up to defend her. The stable boy. Ooh. Yeah. Which is also kind of good that he doesn't, because there's already questionings of the validity of this heir. Right. And he's like the only guy that's in her vicinity. So yeah. it would it's in the best interest to not seem too close to her so that people don't say it's his kid. Mm-hmm. And that's like such a horrible way to look at it, but that is kind of a reality that yeah. I see that as something Regal would not hesitate to stoop to. Yeah, definitely. And so she draws within upon herself and is very quiet the rest of the time. And Fitz remarks that the worst was yet to come still, because at the end of the meal, Regal once again called for silence and makes a little speech. After much grave consideration and great consultation with great reluctance, he had realized what the attack at Nipe had justly proven. Buckkeep itself was no longer the safe and secure place it once was once. It was certainly no place for anyone of delicate health, and so a decision had been reached that King Shrewd, and the king lifted up his head and blinked about at the mention of his name, would be journeying inland 
to reside in safety at Tradeford on the Vin River in Faro until his health had improved. So basically, they're moving all the castle, and mm-hmm. he made this announcement as a safety right. announcement. This is also a really good, subtle way for Regal to take power. Because, I mean, not just moving, but he is in front of people saying a decision was made and he's going to now ask the queen if she will join them, which makes it clear who made the decision and who is making decisions. It's all regal. Mm -hmm. Regal makes every decision. Ketrickin might as well not be there because she isn't allowed to make decisions. Yeah, and and he has this whole whole speech here saying, oh, she would find it more comfortable. You know, right. it would put your subjects at rest knowing that they were well cared for and safe. You and the heir uh, promised her a merry court would reform there. Many furnishings and treasures to Buckkeep would be moved there. And Fitz remarks that Regal smiled all the while that he relegated his father to a position of elderly idiot and Ketrickin to broodmare. He dared to pause to hear her acceptance of her fate. And this is so frustrating because, like, for a guy with mommy issues, he sure is the biggest sexist so far of the series. He will be outdone, but (laughs) what a jerk. Yeah. I hate it so much. He's literally, and it's frustrating that it works because the society somehow puts less significance on noble women that they're just pretty things to look at. And so I think started with queen desire. Yes. This is how it's able to work, but it's so frustrating to watch in play because that whole family. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I can't, it makes me so mad. So Ketrickin declines and says, you know, this is where my Lord Verity left me. And before he did so, he commanded it to my care here. I shall stay. This is where my child will be born. So Regal kind of smiles a little bit and says, okay, well, my cousin, heir to Pharaoh, has expressed interest in assuming the defense of Buckkeep. It'll be well defended. The full militia will be left in place here, for we have no need of them at Tradeford. I doubt that they shall need the existence of one more woman hampered by her skirts and a burgeoning belly. The laughter that erupted shocked me. It was a crude remark, a witticism more worthy of a tavern brawny than a prince in his own keep. It reminded me of nothing so much as of Queen Desire when she was at her worst, inflamed with wine and herbs. Yet they laughed at the high table, and not a few at the lower tables joined them. So, they're all Regal's people, and they're all just going to follow him into into destruction and depravity. Yeah, and it's it's horrible to read and watch a character that we have all come to love and sympathize with have to deal with this basically Mm -hmm. alone ketrickin seemed incapable of speech she actually rose and would have left the table had not the king reached out a trembling hand please my dear he said and his faltering voice carried all too clearly do not leave me i wish you at my side and so regal jumps on that opportunity can't believe his luck and says see like yeah you should move inland because the king wants it so and so she kind of just has to say yes i won't leave your side because it's the king commanding her or asking her 
You are my king to whom I am sworn. My liege, it shall be as you wish. I shall not leave your side. And she does this right after gathering herself because it seemed as though she was about to cry. Yeah. And Fitz notes that if she would have cried, it would have been Regal's best day ever. That she would have given him the cherry on top of his little winning Sunday. A betrayal of her emotional weakness as a breeding female. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is... Ugh, I hate it. I hate it so much. And it's horrible because I don't think Ketrickin would be this emotional normally. I think she would have been able to like have a better facade if she didn't just find out her husband died. Yeah. Yeah. Like she would have probably been able to fight back and not have sunk in on herself. I think that her thinking that Verity is dead. It's also, this is like an incredible ambush because normally these conversations would happen with the whole royal family. You would decide who was staying and who was yeah. going. And all of a sudden you're offered this whole opportunity couched in this, oh, this is perfect for everybody. Like everyone will be, it will be great to know that you're safe and everyone will be very pleased that you're safe inland. And then you deny it because no, duh, you don't want to go with Regal because you know that he's going to try to kill you. Right. And then all of a sudden, the person who, like, is usually on your side just mistakes you leave, like, standing up at the table to leave and saying, no, don't go, don't leave my side for this instance. And Regal's like, oh, see? Yeah. Like, everything that you gathered yourself to do that you're graciously denying and like, oh, no, this is the proper political response to get out of his way. I'm now corralled back in to what Regal wants. Right. Yeah. You're no, your emotional, like, most vulnerable with the news. Right. Like, it's, I, it's, it's a, I think, the worst day for Ketrickin. Right. Honestly. It's great timing for Regal. It's horrible timing for everybody else. And I just, ugh. She has some of the worst days that she has to live through. One, her wedding day, where she, her brother, <laughs> yeah. her brother dies. Mm-hmm. And she knows she has to marry the family who killed her brother yep and go alone to this kingdom where they just killed her brother i wonder and then this day like i wonder if she thinks about that in this moment if she thinks like they've killed my brother this is the man who killed my brother and i'm next yeah and this is all just a slaughtering of yeah my people like <laughs> oh it's so sad it's so sad i hate it mm-hmm I just want to hug her. If I was up there, like, it kind of makes me mad that Patience isn't saying anything, but I understand why she isn't, because clearly you do not want to openly go against Regal. And also... And she's a woman, so probably it would be made fun of. And also, Patience isn't well regarded, and she's smart enough to know that. True. That's fair. She's seen as an outcast, as eccentric. And if you have, you know, a stable boy from the lower tables who is the bastard and an eccentric you know, person yeah. from the high table who never shows up to anything saying, hey, no, this is this is not right. True. Fair enough. You can just get laughed at. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just really sad. It is. It's incredibly heartbreaking. And so they kind of just... Well, Ketrickin kind of collapses in on herself and, again, is super quiet and just there until she can leave. 
Fitz says that Regal natters on a bit longer when they did dine out, but he had already achieved his goal. He spoke mostly of the wisdom of his decision and how Buckheap would be better able to defend itself without fearing for its monarch. He even had the audacity to suggest that by removing himself and the king and queen-in-waiting, he would be making Buckheap a lesser target for the raiders, as they would have less to gain by capturing it. It was all a nothing, a winding down for show. Not long after, the king was taken away and Queen Ketrickin follows him. And the feast kind of breaks down into a rowdy party where they show a very... A body piece, a puppet show, entitled The Seduction of the Innkeeper's Son. Right. I pushed my plate back and looked to Birik. Our eyes met and we rose as one. It feels like Regal would be the worst king ever, even if it was peacetime. Yep. I mean, let's just say that he is the firstborn and not, like, the evil person he is. We don't know anything about that. But he's addicted to drugs. And maybe an alcoholic because he drinks every single night to excess. He he'd be He's like a partier. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd he, be like the Robert Baratheon of of this series. So for a Song of Ice and Fire fans or Game of Thrones, if you watch the show, he was only in the first season because he died. Spoiler alert! But like. <laughs> He pretty much bankrupted the whole kingdom because he threw a bunch of tournaments and drank and went hunting and wasn't really a king. He was just a conqueror who became king because he won, and then he just wanted to party the whole time. Right. So that's what Regal would be, pretty much. He would just be throwing parties and bankrupt everything. His image and partying. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. And... Also, I think about how he was willing to give up Neat Bay. He didn't think that anybody would stop that. So he had given that to the Raiders, or he was going to. And as Burek and the King and everybody pointed out, that would have stopped all trade into the inner duchies. The inner duchies would have not been able to get anything out or anything back in. I've looked at the maps. It doesn't... the. River doesn't go to the mountain. So mm-hmm. they couldn't even go around to Bingtown through the Rainwilds. They would have had nothing, and he's an idiot for thinking that that was an okay move because it got back at his dad. Like, he just doesn't have any foresight at all. He has, it's so frustrating. And at times like this, I just think about how he would have been a horrible ruler. Even without all the murder, he yeah. would have been. A horrible ruler. (laughs) And the fact that people praise him and act like he's so great is just so frustrating. Because if he didn't have the excuse of war, people probably wouldn't like him as much. Maybe they would. I don't know. There still would be supporters because there's there's always always... sycophants and everything. But yeah, it's it's spiraling fast. It's all crashing down. Things are moving very quickly. Fitz... And Beric go to the king soon. They do their little thing. They contact. They know that Verity is alive. Ketrikin loses her baby soon. It's it's all... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's rough. It is the worst part of the series. 
part where all the bad stuff happens so that the good stuff can happen in the end. But we gotta live the through the bad stuff. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like the okay ending, I guess. <laughs> I love this series, but like the payoff. Is it worth all the death and destruction that we're living through right now? We have eight chapters and an epilogue to go yet for this book. <sighs> that doesn't feel like enough time for what I know is going to happen in there. But also, I'm glad it's only eight chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Fitz is... I wouldn't say he's happy, but he has a plan. And he thinks that he'll get a one-up on Regal with his plan. Yeah. So while he feels for Ketrickin, he thinks he'll it'll all come out okay. Right. So I don't know. It was, it's uh, we'll see it come crashing down for her. Oh yeah. <laughs> As well, usual. All the better for the darkness to creep in. So. Please send your thoughts our way. We're reading them at isfitshappy at gmail dot com, or isfitshappy Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are uh, user isfitshappy on Reddit, and we're kind of trolling around the Robin Hobb subreddit every once in a while, looking at threads and and answering anything that you guys have on our personal posts um, for our episodes. So send out questions, send out thoughts, DM us directly, anything like that. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Okay, so back to a normal question and answer session. This time we're going to start with something from Ifka from Facebook, which I hope I didn't butcher the pronunciation. I'm so sorry if I did. Um, But they sent us a really interesting message about the discussion of whites in general and how in episode 42 we were talking about how it's kind of weird how they're different and we had a little bit of misunderstanding about what was going on there with how they could be different from humans but be humans and Ifka made a really interesting point that they look at it like Neanderthals versus Homo sapiens where they're sim- were similar to Neanderthals and sometimes Neanderthal genes can be in homo sapien genes like we have common genes that are shared between us that show up even that we could interbreed but we're technically two separate races yeah and so even now we can see those traces and how that's probably what this is this is a species that died out the real species and what's left over is this super recessive gene that gets passed down very rarely to people which I found really cool and like a really cool thought in a way to bring it into real world. Because sometimes when things are a little too magical, I know I personally get very confused at how it works. I need real world rules (laughs) to base my understanding on. And I know not everyone's like that. And I envy anyone who can just roll with the punches of whatever rules that are made up. But Uh, I found this really interesting and a really cool thought process that I knew we would have to share. Yeah, definitely. Also, I wanted to shout out to Sue, who said that they pictured me with darker hair, um, and to assuage your worries. I am naturally 
a very dark haired woman so I, <laughs> dark dark brown yeah I yeah think the it's pretty close to black my dad basically has black hair and i am very similar my hair is a little bit lighter than his but it's basically as close to black as it can be while still being brown naturally um but i do <laughs> color my hair to be a little bit lighter so <laughs> well specifically in that photos you, yes. yeah you had um and the lighting i think made it look a little bit lighter than it actually is yes so worry not i do naturally <laughs> I, I as much as i sound like a dark-haired person i naturally am so <laughs> i just found that comment really funny because that is actually how i look so <laughs> <laughs> uh, also we had a email from casper and this person was just basically commenting on Burek's bond to Vixen and how we thought, we were discussing actually whether it was one-sided or not, the mm-hmm. bond. We've talked about it a few times in I'm of the Mind that it was pretty one-sided and I kind of got swayed a little bit later on that they must have knowingly bonded together, but Burek ignored everything possible right. from Vixen's side, which I still think is kind of the case. But uh, they brought up a passage from Fool's Fate when Burek and Fitz were discussing that they think that they were bonded fully um, and quite early. Burek says this, quote, Long ago, you told me you did not choose Night Eyes, that he chose you and bonded to you and gave you little choice in the matter. So it was with Vixen and me. Then Birik talks about how he met Vixen for um, for a while. And then says, But by the time she was large enough to fend for herself, she had attached herself to me. And in time, I admit, I came to rely on her. Fitz asked, asked him then if Birik didn't allow Fitz to do something that he himself did. And Birik admits that it is the case. Again, like Casper remarks that it's super hypocritical, which it is. Mm-hmm. But they think that Hobb was saying something about being a parent and how you do things that you don't want your children to do. Basically, you know, do what I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. You try to raise your kid to do the correct thing. Mm-hmm. But you might, you know, have some of those shortcuts or do yeah. something else yeah. or, you know, same with like, oh, no, you, you can't drink anything or whatever uh, while you're having a, a beer or something at the right. same time. You know, no, it's definitely... It's just, one of the more wild parts about growing up is being an adult and talking to your parents and realizing, hey, they're just people. <laughs> they're just yeah. figuring it out, too. And so. So I think yeah. that that was an actually a great perspective on that whole situation. While I still think that Birik is uh, very stubborn in what his beliefs are and he ignored most things, there's kind of textual proof that he did rely on maybe some of her extra senses, things like that, on Vixen's extra senses, rather than just completely shutting everything out. Yeah. And at the same time told Fitz, you know... Absolutely not. Absolutely not for everything there. And that kind of ties into a uh, another message we got on Instagram, actually, saying, hey, I was thinking that Birik's comment about you know, what partners not staying out of personal anything mm-hmm. might have to do with that funny sex story we heard about him biting a woman on the neck like a horse during their horizontal dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, from Vanessa on uh, <laughs> on Instagram, which is which is really 
a great callback. Yeah, it's a great callback, <laughs> and it's a great connection because to to the email actually because yeah. if Vixen was relied upon and they were fully bonded, yeah, Vixen would not have stayed out of any yeah. of those personal uh <laughs> personal relationships right or you know horizontal dancing <laughs> although i wonder and so, if there's a difference because vixen was a female dog yeah maybe and bjerk seems to identify as male so i wonder if there's like a more of a distinction there i don't know yeah i don't know not something i really want to think in depth about but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's it's a really interesting thing because <laughs> If they were so involved, then Birik would have <laughs> such a dark, like, they don't stay out of anything. Like, yeah. I don't want this for the son of chivalry. Right. Yeah. I don't want them to be reduced to my level. Right. Which is Because so he sad. doesn't think of himself as anything good. Right. So I thought those were those were interesting connections there. Thank you so much for submitting and, and commenting on those. Yes. And we also got a really fun email from... Nathan, who is from the UK, and let us know that it is actually pretty reasonable for someone to live not that far away and have a completely different accent. Yeah, this was about uh, with Fitz when, asking Molly, like, what accent did these people yeah, have that assaulted have... her? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is after Molly got attacked, and it's very funny because. Nathan tells us all about how in the UK accents vary between small towns and villages, let alone major cities. And they vary enough that if you are good at it, you can identify which side of the river in the town an accent is from, which I find really fun that that's how different the accents can be. It's so crazy. It's funny how in different places things Mm -hmm. are. We can get a little bit of that stereotypically in like New York Mm-hmm. Things like that, where they have different, you know, right. people, immigrants who settled in different areas of the city and then they yeah. morphed into their own accents. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously can't do that accent. Sorry to everyone in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah. But oh, I know that was so good, Emma. <laughs> but I in here in America, at least in my experience living here, I've lived both in the southern Midwest and the northern Midwest. And people could tell that I had a difference to accent in moving between the two, but I couldn't hear much of a difference. I make fun of my Wisconsin friends because there's a big stereotype of how they sound. Just even four states down, people are like, oh, they're Canadians. But... Everybody, when I got here, thought I sounded like a huge hick, and I didn't even have that much of an accent. <laughs> well, you just showed that you weren't from around here, because you said Wisconsin. Oh, my instead gosh. Instead of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. No, you just kind of slur it together. Wisconsin. That was... Okay, just a little <laughs> side note. When I moved, I went to school in Green Bay. I do not live there anymore, so I'm comfortable sharing this. I was told they could tell I was an outsider because I pronounced Green Bay wrong. And in my mind, this is what it sounded like. It's not Green Bay. It's Green Bay. 
And I'm like, what? (laughs) They sounded the exact same to me, but to everybody from the area, they knew that I was saying it wrong. Little little regional thing here. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, If you are not from Green Bay, you pronounce it Green Bay. Uh If you are, it's Green Bay. Emphasis on green. Yeah. (laughs) Emphasis on bay or equal emphasis. Yeah. So it was wild to me. Green Bay. Yeah. (laughs) But it is, so what I'm trying to say is... Unless you're saying the Packers, Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Oh my lord. (laughs) So what I'm trying to say is, I can see how someone like Molly could be like, I don't hear a difference at all, because half the time that's how I feel when people are like, oh, that accent is so strong. I'm like, what accent? (laughs) (laughs) But it is cool to know that it's much more smaller distance between different accents in other places. So thank you to everyone for reaching out. We really enjoyed hearing from you guys per usual. If we didn't get to one of your questions from the previous week that was not related to our fun special end of episode, I apologize. There were a lot of a lot more questions than usual coming in and they were hard to sort through. So we will get to everybody, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And so I always feel bad when we don't get to them in a timely manner, but we enjoy seeing them all and we will eventually answer if we don't. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in guys.